evening. We are so thankful for all those who can be here with us on tonight. And uh, we certainly appreciate those who are joining us uh, uh, via uh, Zoom and uh, YouTube and uh, various outlets. And also for those who are here with us in our audience, we're thankful for your presence and appreciate you so much as well. Our text tonight, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, I'm sure we'll have some information on the screen as well. But 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9 is our text uh, for this evening. Uh, as, we, as we consider 2 Samuel chapter 9, um, I, I, want to, I want you to pay attention to three characters. Three characters. Uh, one is uh, King David. Uh, we know King David is described as a, a man after God's own heart. And we want you to pay attention to Jonathan, a loyal and trusted friend of King David. And then uh, a young man named Mephibosheth, uh, a man with lame feet, whose name means shameful. And then there are two places uh, I want you to note. And one is Lodabar and the other, Jerusalem. The title for tonight's sermon is Called Out of Lodabar. Called Out of Lodabar. Now let's introduce ourselves to the man with lame feet. The man with lame feet. We want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we want to read verses 1 through 3. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Brother Craig is here with us. He's going to read for us and help us out this evening. And David said, is there any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba, Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant he is. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. So as we introduce ourselves to the man with lame feet, we are introduced to a man named Mephibosheth. He was an heir of a fallen dynasty. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son and grandson to King Saul. Now, if you remember King Saul, then you recognize that King Saul was the one in 1 Samuel chapter 15 that disobeyed God and lost the kingdom. Now, Mephibosheth, the Bible helps us to appreciate how this man became lame in his feet. We have to go to 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse number 4, and we will then understand how Mephibosheth became lame in his feet. 2 Samuel 4 and verse number 4, the Bible says what? And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame on his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan in Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass that she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So we recognize the way then in which Mephibosheth became lame. Obviously, when that news came that Jonathan and, and Jonathan and Saul were killed in battle, and they recognized that they needed to get to safety, his nurse takes him up and she flees, and upon fleeing, she, he falls. She drops him. Obviously, he became lame from that situation due to that fall. As we look at this situation, we can see the similarities in man and how man came to become lame. 
We see it because man, it's a picture for us that God had commanded man in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17, we find God giving man a commandment. And the Bible says that the Lord God commanded man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge and good and evil thou mayest not eat of it. For the day thou eatest of it, thou shalt surely die. Now man became lame because of his disobedience and disregard and disrespect to the God of heaven. If you were to move forward to Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 6, you would hear this in regards to the woman and how man fell into sin. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant unto the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she did, took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So we see then that God had commanded the man and the woman not to eat of that tree that was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and yet man did eat of it, and in, in eating of it, he became lame. He fell. He became one who transgressed the commandment of God. And as a result of that, he was no longer walking uprightly. In fact, man became so wicked that if we move forward to Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, the Bible says this about man. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man had become so marred by sin and so crippled by sin that all of his inhabitants had given themselves wholly over to doing evil. Thank God that there was a few, that there was a man named Noah living in that time who found grace in the sight of God because the inhabitants of man was no longer walking uprightly. He was no longer walking righteously. He was walking in wickedness and he was going, he was becoming more and more and more wicked. If you were to look at what Solomon said about man in his generation, we pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 29. When Solomon and his generation looked out and surveyed the landscape of man, he recognized that God was not responsible for what he saw. He says, lo, this only have I found, that God had made man upright, but he has sought out many inventions. Man engineered ways of doing wickedness. He has proven generation after generation that he is not content with the knowledge and the wisdom that God has given him. In other words, man does not want and he's not content with the wisdom of God, but he desires to become wiser and wiser and wiser. And so he utilizes the faculties and everything that God gave him for good and he turns it into that which is evil. We recognize again, generation after generation, that man has proven not to be content with what God has supplied to him for his happiness. You think about it, you go back to Genesis chapter two, and God was doing what he did for man in that moment for his happiness. Genesis chapter two and verse number 18, the Bible says "And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone, for I will make a help meet for him. In other words, God was looking for man's ultimate happiness when he recognized that man was alone and then decided that he would make a helper, a suitable companion for man. Obviously, Adam had named those animals and he had been around those animals that had been paraded before him and he recognized that in the animal kingdom, there was not one suitable for him. And so therefore, we know what happened. God put him to sleep. 
and opened up a side and took a rib out of the side and closed up the flesh and stayed thereof and then made a woman and then brought her unto the man. And when Adam saw Eve, he said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they too shall become one flesh. What Adam recognizes that what God did for him was for his happiness. God gave the institution of marriage for man's happiness and for the ability of procreation so that man can replenish or he can fill the earth. And so what God did was for man's happiness, but man has proven time and time and time again that he is not content with what God has provided for his happiness. And so therefore he will change and modify things and he will engineer ways of doing wickedly so that he can then attain his own happiness. Well, Solomon said, lo, this only have I found. God made man upright, but he sought out many inventions. And you consider what Paul wrote when he wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter three, beginning at verse number five, Paul would tell them, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, but now ye put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, evil communication out of your mouth, and put on the new man. So in other words, what he was telling them is that you got to put to death all of these passions and things that will lead you to doing evil and lustful desires that will turn you away from God. Well, man failed due to his disobedience and disregard for the commandment of God. But Fibosheth became lame due to a fall. Man became lame a moral cripple due to his disobedience from the God of heaven. But Mephibosheth had two great distress, distressing problems. Those awful lame feet, but one day having to face the king. You see, it was customary in those days for the disposed king's family to be killed. This is in part to make sure that there is no assassination attempt on the new king, but also that they do not at some point in the future usurp or come back to the throne. In recognition of this, we recognize if you were to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 4, you will find that there was a man named Ishbosheth who was also Saul's son, and he was then uncle to Mephibosheth. And here were some individuals that put him to death thinking that they was going to do a favor to King David because they recognized that he was a part of that fallen dynasty. Let's pick up the reading in 2 Samuel chapter 4 and notice verses 8 through 12. Brother Craig, read for us. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth unto David to Hebron and said to the king, Behold the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thy enemy, which sought thy life. And the Lord hath avenged my lord the king this day of Saul and of his seed. And David answered Rechab and Benai, his brother, the sons of Ramon, the Berethite, and said unto them, As the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity? When one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziglag. 
who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings? How much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed, shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hands mm -hmm. and take you away from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they slew them and cut off their hands and their feet and hanged them up over the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and they buried it in the sepulcher of Abner in Hebron. You see, these men thought that they were doing a favor to David by killing the dynasty, the form, those who were a part of the former dynasty. Now you can imagine Mephibosheth is in Lodabar and imagine when news gets to him. But Mephibosheth does not know that David is not responsible for this. And so here he is, he's having this problem. One of the great problems that he has is that one day he may have to come face to face with that king. Hmm. When you think about the two problems that Mephibosheth had, he was a cripple, lame in his feet. But then also, one day, he may have to face the king. You realize that man has those same two problems. Man's awful condition that does not allow him to walk uprightly. He's lame, he's crippled due to sin. You think about what Paul wrote in reference to the, Rome, the Roman epistle, when Paul wrote in chapter 1, he revealed to them that the Gentiles were under sin. And then in chapter 2, Paul reveals that the Jews are under sin. And then in chapter 3, Paul reveals that all are under sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, that's the crippling nature of sin. It has made man lame so that he no longer can walk correctly, no longer walk upright. He can no longer walk in a manner that's pleasing to the God of heaven. But not only that, one day he'll have to face the king. You see, everybody has to see him. And you do not want to have to face the king in a situation where you are not walking uprightly. A king who has every right to put you to death. Mephibosheth understood it. And we certainly understand it today. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, for the wages of sin is death. You see, death is what sin deserves and is, and is its proper reward. If you spend your life working and serving sin, it is a master that will pay you exactly what you have earned. And what you have earned is death. If you put that death in that, in that, in that, in that uh, um, verse, if you put it in, in, in contrast with the life there, you know that the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so therefore, my friends, that, I, that death there is going to last as long as that life there. And so we're talking about eternal death and misery. The man with lame feet had two problems. But that man from, with lame feet has an invitation extended to him. So notice the king's invitation to the man in Lodabar. Let's go, to, let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9 and notice verses 4. And the king said unto him, Where is he? 
And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Mechah, the son of Emil, in Lodabar. Stay right there. Seeking that man with lame feet. You know, this would have been a dreaded meeting. But finally, that dreaded knock comes on the door. But he does not realize that it's for his good. Where is the man? Where is that man with lame feet? He is in Lodabar. He was living in obscurity as a dead man forgotten. He was living and hiding in Lodabar, and Lodabar means the place of no pasture. It is the place of no word, a derogatory name denoting a lack of enlightenment and stupidity. When you, if you were to have visited Lodabar in this time, what you would have found in its inhabitants, you would have found the lost, the unskilled, the uneducated, the outcast from society. And here was a wonderful place for a man like Mephibosheth, an heir of a fallen dynasty. Uncle has been killed and his father and his grandfather all gone and another man has the throne. And one day you may have to face that man and you know that could mean your life. And here David is saying, go and get him and bring him out of Lodabar, bring him to Jerusalem. Now then we have to ask the question, why did David want this man brought out of Lodabar? Let's go to 2 Samuel 9, and let's go back to verse number 3, Brother Craig. Let me give you several reasons why David wanted this man brought out of Lodabar. You could take that screen down if you like. Several reasons why David wanted this man out of Lodabar. Read verse number 3, if you will. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him, and Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. So why did David want this man out of Lodabar? He wanted to show him the kindness of God. Why did he want him out of Lodabar? Look at verse number six. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said to Mephibosheth, and he answered, and behold, thy servant. So why does David want this man brought out of Lodabar? Not only to show him the kindness of God, but to get to know him on a first name basis. You see, just a little while ago, David didn't even know if there were anyone left. If there was anyone left of the house of Saul. And upon finding out that there was someone left, he sent and summoned him. And when he got him there, now he is referring to him by his first name. He is getting to know him, getting to know him intimately. He is calling him by his name, getting to know him on a first name basis. That's why he called him out of Lodabar. When you get to verse number seven, there are many reasons given why he called this man out of Lodabar. Notice verse number seven. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will, I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. Notice there were two things right there. First of all, to take away his fears. He told him to fear not. And then he said, I want to bless you for your father's, Jonathan's sake. You see, you remember 
in the story of Jonathan and David that they were so close one to another. And at one point in 1 Samuel, you have to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. In fact, let's go back and read that. 1 Samuel chapter 20. When you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 20, you find a covenant that Jonathan and David made together. 1 Samuel chapter 20, and notice verses 15 through 17. But also shall, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David from every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan calls David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Here was Jonathan making a covenant with David, recognizing that David was going to have the throne. And he says to David that you will make a covenant that you will do show kindness to my house when you come to the throne. And here is David remembering that covenant that he made with Jonathan. And now he says, I want to show him kindness for his father's Jonathan's sake. He wanted to bless him because of that covenant he made with his father. But in verse number seven, it tells us something else he wanted to do. And will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Notice those two things. He called him out of Lodabar so that he could restore him all that he had lost. So therefore the estate that was left by Saul and all of the land, he was going to restore that to Mephibosheth. And then to give him security and satisfaction. Now he will eat the bread of gladness at his table continually. How do you think Mephibosheth received all of this news? Because think about it now. Ishbosheth had been, been killed, murdered. He doesn't know that David's not responsible for that. But he also recognized that he's in a certain place hoping that he would never have to see that king. And David now has called him out of Lodabar. He does not realize it's for his good. And when he receives all of this at the hand of David, he feels unworthy. Notice how he responds in verse number eight. Read it for us, Brother Craig. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am. Mephibosheth is overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the kindness shown to him and recognizes his unworthiness. You think about this young man, Mephibosheth, he had nothing. He was poor. He was an outcast. He was a fugitive. He had no hope and no prospects for the future. But when he met grace in the person of David, everything changed. All his present needs were met and his future was secure. When you think about this, is this not similar to our situation, to the world's situation? When you look at the story of Mephibosheth, you recognize that we were in the world. The world was our Lodabar. We were living in that world and we were living in the place of no pasture. And this, in that situation, just like David went looking, I want to know, is there anyone left from the house of Saul? And upon finding out from Ziba that there was one, David summoned him, went and got him, and brought him to Jerusalem. 
Jesus came down here looking for us, looking to change man's situation, recognizing man's plight in sin. And the Bible records for us in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Where were we when Jesus came? We were in Lodabar. We were in a place of no pasture. We were in the world, a place where we could bear no fruit to God. And why did Jesus come looking for us? To show us the kindness of God. That's why he came looking for us. The same reason David went looking for Mephibosheth. In Titus chapter 3 and verse number 4, the Bible says, But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared. This kindness was manifested in many ways. And you and I appreciate all the ways in which God has manifested that kindness toward us in the reconciliation that we now, have, we now enjoy, the fact that we have now been put back on friendly terms and put in a proper relationship with God, reconciled to him. We are no longer enemies, but now we are friends. We recognize not only reconciliation, but also the fact that he has adopted us. And now we are called sons because of the adoptions. And now we are sons and we also have an inheritance as those sons. But not only that, the justification, the fact that he has justified us and now looks at us as, we, as if we are innocent. He looks at us in a sense that we are now righteous. In fact, we have been declared righteous. The Bible says, for he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Thank God for that transferable righteousness. And we have been declared righteous the kindness of God. That's why Jesus came to find us. He not only did that, but he desired to bring us home and to seat us in the heavenly places. When Paul picks up his pen to, the, to those at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly places. Those heavenly places are in Christ. That is the kingdom of Christ. That is the church of Christ. Right now in the church of Christ, we are sitting in the heavenly places and we have received all of those wonderful spiritual benefits. We're thankful to God for it. He wanted to know us intimately. He wanted to know us. In fact, when Jesus was talking to his disciples in order to help them to appreciate how intimately they are known by God, he says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 30 that the very hairs on your head are all numbered. That's an intimate association. Why did he call us out of Lodabar? He wanted to take away our fears. And now it is the case that we no longer have to fear man. Jesus again to his disciples in Matthew 10 and verse number 28 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. We don't have to fear man anymore. Man cannot use fear, use our fears against us to make us renounce Christ. He cannot make us unfaithful. He cannot make us walk away or renounce or denounce our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because we don't have to fear what he can do to the body. We can remain faithful unto the Lord even unto death. In fact, we don't have to fear anything that we're going to suffer. And that's what the Lord says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, and ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. But be thou faithful unto death, 
He says, and I'll give you a crown of righteousness, a crown of life. We don't have to fear it. In fact, we don't even have to fear the second death. Verse number 11. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. And he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. He wanted us to make sure, he wanted us to appreciate that we no longer have to fear. That's why he called us out of Lodabar. He called us out of Lodabar because he wanted to restore to us everything that we lost. You remember the conversation that took place with Jesus and the disciples one is in Matthew 19, the other in Mark chapter 10, 28 through 30. Then Peter began to say, Lo, we have left all, and we have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that there is no man that has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's sake, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and per with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. He wanted to restore all that we had lost. And you look around and see all of the wonderful mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, all the things that you may have, you may have thought you lost in that world in Lodabar. But now he's given it to us fourfold in the church. He wanted to give us satisfaction. Jesus called it the abundant life. John chapter 10 and verse number 10, for the thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. My friend Mephibosheth was blessed. He was blessed for Jonathan's sake. But we are blessed and we are truly blessed for Christ's sake. And sometimes I wonder, are we still surprised? You know, our people say sometimes, you know, I just can't believe it. And, you know, some, sometimes things are so good that you, you have to pinch yourself to make sure it's real. You hear people talk like that. Well, let me tell you something. You have to pinch yourself to realize all of the goodness that God has done. Make sure this is real. Are you still surprised sometimes? Are you still appreciative of what has been done for us? Do we, like Mephibosheth, recognizes our own unworthiness, knowing that God has a, had a right to give us death, but instead he offered us life, and that life is through his son. We deserve death. We were living under a death sentence, but instead of giving us what we earned and what we deserved, he gave us what we did not deserve and what we could not earn. He gave us life through his son, Jesus the Christ. That's why he called us out of Lodabar. Sometimes people end up in a spiritual Lodabar due to no fault of their own. You, know, you think about Mephibosheth's situation, his circumstances. It was not Mephibosheth's fault that his grandfather disobeyed God and lost the kingdom. That wasn't Mephibosheth's fault. It was not Mephibosheth's fault that his father and his grandfather were killed in battle. It was not Mephibosheth's fault that his nurse took him up and dropped him as she was trying to flee. He ended up in Lodabar. And it's not your fault. My friend, there's a myriad of things that happens to people that puts them in a spiritual load of all. 
It's not your fault that you were abused as a child, verbally, sexually, physically. Not your fault. It's not your fault that you had no father or mother in the home. But yet people sometimes live under these circumstances and situations where they end up in a spiritual load of bar. It's not your fault that you had to grow up quickly. You had to help rear your younger siblings. It's not your fault that sometimes you had to help out with your parents due to their situation. So many people living with parents on drugs and all these kind of things, they got to grow up fast and they got to help take care of the children. We got some folks that ends up in spiritual loader bar due to no fault of their own. It's not your fault that you had parents who were not faithful to the Lord while you were growing up in the church. But yet that's the situation of many. Their parents were not faithful while they were growing up putting them in a spiritual loader bar. It's not your fault that no one gave you any guidance, that no one instilled any confidence in you. It's not your fault. It's not your fault that maybe you are, have been in a congregation where the elders or the brethren where you attend did not stand for anything, but fail for many things. It's not your fault that they allowed innovations and false doctrines into the pulpit where you attended while you were growing up and trying to establish your faith and trying to understand how to build a personal faith. And in the midst of that, someone allowed false doctrine in, put you in a spiritual loader bar. We are not to assume why someone is in a spiritual loader bar. We don't know why you are in loader bar. We don't know how you got into loader bar. But we are here to let you know how you can get out of loader bar. There is one that will help you out of physical and spiritual loader bar. I want you to notice something. Go back to the text with me, 2 Samuel chapter 9. I want you to know the man from Lodabar at the king's table. Everything now is for his good. Look at verse number 9 and 10. Come on, read. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul, and all and all to and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now, listen, listen. He will always eat bread at the king's table. Who? That man from Lodabar. Who? That outcast. That fugitive. That one in that place of no pasture. Now, he's going to be at the king's table continually. 
Jesus told his disciples in Luke 22 and verse number 30, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. We are in the kingdom and we are at the Lord's table. But notice verse number 11. Read verse number 11 for us. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my, that, that my Lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Not only will he eat at the table continually, but he will occupy a position as one of the king's sons. Wow. Who are we talking about? A man from Lodabar, that outcast, that fugitive, that man that had no hope, no prospects for the future. Now, not only is he eating at the king's table continually, he now has a position as one of the king's sons. He will now dwell in the king's city. Look at verse number 12. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Machiah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. He will now dwell in the king's city in Jerusalem, the city of peace, instead of Lodabar, the place of no pasture. So let's ask this question. What happened to his lame feet? Verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. And so here we look at this situation. Here was the man with lame feet. All of these things has happened to him because of the king. And when you think about his lame feet, the man continued to be lame in his feet. However, now they were at the king's table where no one could see them. My friends, you may have had many things that has happened to you, things that make you feel less than. Sometimes we feel like we're less than other people. We compare ourselves to other folks, and we begin to believe that we are not what we should be. We begin to believe that we are less than, and folks are more important than us. I'll tell you what, think about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was lame in his feet, and I'm sure that made him feel a certain way in the presence of other people. But when that man got invited to the king's table and put those feet under the table, he was as whole as anyone. I don't know what your situation and your condition is, but I know in Christ, you are as whole as anyone when you have your feet under the king's table. Christ is still calling men out of Lodabar. Matthew 11, 28, listen to the invitation, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, you shall find rest for your souls. But my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus wants to bring you into his church. He wants to bring you into his kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. And you know what? He knows you are crippled. He knows you are lame due to sin. And that's why he's going to place you in Christ. That's where he put us. He knew we were crippled. He knew we was lame. He knew because of sin we had fallen. 
and we have began to dirty and soil ourselves in the muck and in the mire. We were no longer able to walk upright. We were living in Lodabar, the place of no pasture. We could not bring forth any fruit to God, and he called us and put us in Christ. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, 26, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free. We are all one, no male nor female. We are all one in Christ. And if you be Christ, then you Abraham seed and heirs according to the promise. He put us in Christ, in him. Not only that, he will hide us in Christ. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. My friends, he'll hide you. All those imperfections and all of those, that, crippled, that, that, that crippling, debilitating situation in which we found ourselves coming out of Lodabar, he'll hide us in Christ. That allows God to see you righteously, innocent. That allows God to bless you through his son. He'll cleanse you in Christ. John said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. My friends, I don't know how you got in low the bar, but I know how you can get out of it. Jesus Christ is the way. King David called Mephibosheth out of Lodabar and did wonderful things for him. Christ has called us out of our Lodabar, out of that world, crippled by sin, lame in our feet, could not walk uprightly in a place of no pasture, could not bring forth any fruit to God. And Jesus came looking for us and called us to show us the kindness of God and has delivered in such a wonderful way that we are blessed from here to eternity because of what he did. And if you believe in him, my friends, you ought to come out of Lodabar as well and give your life to Christ, believing in him to be the son of God, repenting of your sins that sent him to that cruel cross, confessing him with the mouth under salvation, and then submitting to baptism so that you can identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. And when you come out of that water, my friends, walk uprightly in the newness of life. Thank you so much for your kind attention.